Well, welcome back. Today is a wonderful day. Um, I mentioned Pastor Clint is feeling a little bit better, but um, I'm back up here again today. So if you're a guest, um, try again next week. <laughs> Maybe. No, it's really quite an honor and actually quite humbling to, uh, to be up here. And uh, people always ask me, you know, are you ready? And I'm like, no, no. This is, this is such a rich book, the book of John. Um, we, we began it last week in the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1, which says, in the beginning, great place to start. And we were introduced to Jesus. Now, the first part of the book is, is a poem about the first 18 verses. We get introduced to who Jesus is. Jesus is God Almighty. And we talked about that last week, and of course, we'll talk about that again today. And, and I did give you a spoiler alert last week for the sermon, so I'll give you another spoiler alert for this week's sermon. It's about Jesus. So in case you were wondering, we will be talking about Jesus. Now, in this first part of John, we're also introduced to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, not to be confused with John the Apostle who wrote this book, he's the forerunner of Christ. He's the one that was put forth before Christ to pave the way, to, to let the people know that Jesus was coming. And this week, we get to move on from that. And last week, the main point was Jesus is God. And I will say that's always a main point, and I'm going to make that point again today. But as we move on, um, we'll dig into a little bit of John the Baptist and who he was as well, and, and the importance of his ministry, and of course, another spoiler alert, the importance of his ministry was Jesus' ministry. So let's just jump right into it, starting in the book of John. Last week we went through verse 14, I'll pick up in verse 14, and I'll just read it in its entirety, and then we'll kind of break it down from there. So starting in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this is John the Baptist, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands among you one who you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And these things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, can you imagine, or perhaps you have been, late for an interview? And being late for an interview, what would that, what would that say about your commitment to that job, right? Imagine that that interviewer, that employer, potential employer, paid for your flight, paid for your rental car, paid for your hotel and your dinner, and then the next day you're late for the interview. I would, I would guess that 
the chances of employment would go down, you know, slim to none, and, and Slim may have just left town. That feeling is the exact feeling I had about 20 years ago, waking up about 7.30 in the morning in South Windsor, Connecticut, after flying out there on a job interview. I'd called ahead, called for a wake-up call. That didn't happen. I set the alarm on the little, this is pre, hey Siri, wake me up at seven o'clock. That, that was before that time. Apparently I set the alarm for PM and not AM. Has anybody ever done that? Yeah, you remember those? Yeah. Siri doesn't make that mistake, I don't think. But at any rate, that was the feeling I had waking up at 7.30 in the morning in South Windsor, Connecticut, looked at the clock and said, I have an interview in a half hour and it's a 25 minute drive and I'm under the covers. I got out of bed very quickly, did not take a shower. I'm a relatively clean person, so that's okay. Jumped into the white shirt, tie, pants, jacket, uh, just wet my hair down and put some goo in it and got it going and headed out, put my stuff in the bag, got in the rental car and took off. And as I'm driving the speed limit down the road, I realize I look in the mirror, I'm like, I haven't shaved in a couple days and I need to shave. So I'm fishing for my my little bag in the back to get my razor out and dry shave on the way to the interview. And which, if you guys have ever done that, you, you're a tough dude because it's rough. And of course, this is also before the time of, you know, hey Siri, take me to whatever address or, you know, ways. I have a little sheet of paper with a printout on where I'm supposed to go. And as I'm looking at the piece of paper, looking, okay, I get off on this exit and I'm <laughs> shaving, dry shaving in the mirror. I cut myself right here underneath my nose and I was bleeding like a stuck pig. And of course, there's nothing in the car to hold it back. So I'm reaching my bag and pull out a shirt, you know, wiping it off my shirt. I look at the directions. I'm like, that's the exit. Oh no. Next exit, eight miles. And I'm already feeling like I'm about to be late. Eight miles up the road, turn around eight miles back, about 15 minutes extra. So I'm like, <laughs> this is not turning out good. So as I got off the next exit to turn around, I'm like, I got three minutes to go another eight miles and then get off the exit and go, I don't know how long. But as I turn off the next exit, I see a sign for International Fuel Cell, which is the company I was interviewing with. They were right there. The directions they gave me were incorrect. And I missed the wrong exit on accident and pulled off on the right exit, pulled in, two minutes to spare, went inside, met the receptionist with one minute to spare, and I was on time. And that was just awesome. Of course, I'm still bleeding like a stuck pig. And she sees me come up to the, actually, she asked me to keep talking because she said I had a really deep southern accent. And I was like, I'm from Florida. I have a non-regional dialect. She's like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> keep talking. So I went up to the counter and uh, you know, said, I'm here for the interview. And she goes, okay, great. She goes, oh, don't worry. Don't, don't be so nervous. Because she saw me. I was like, <sighs> you know, out of breath after driving really fast. And I've got my nose bleeding. I'm trying to hold it. She's like, she thinks I'm nervous and i got a nosebleed. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just cut myself shaving. I didn't tell her I cut myself shaving on the drive over doing 90 miles an hour. 55 miles an hour, whatever. Yes, I spud, sorry. I, I did repent for that one. But I went, had a little bit of time. She said the, the, the vice president was the first person I'm interviewing with. It's gonna come out in a minute. And uh, so just, you know, take some time, go to the restroom and, you know, put a cloth on there. So I, I held a cloth on my nose and I, I still couldn't get it to stop bleeding. So my first interview was with the vice president of the company. And uh, I, I gotta give you this visual, sorry. So I'm, I'm talking with him and we're, you know, discussing the job. And then my next interview, about 15 minutes later, the president of the company comes in and he sees my nose is just continuing to bleed. And he says, just grab one of those things and shove it in your nose. So I just, this was me interviewing with the president, vice president for about 15 or 20 minutes, making an impression, I'm sure, 
And um, so after a while, they quit bleeding and, you know, whatever. Now I've got to do something with this. All right, it's going in the front pocket, and i got some hand sanitizer. Give me one moment, please. But I say all that to say this, right? What would it have been like had I been late? Had I missed the right exit, turn around 15, 20 minutes late after all this stuff that they'd done for me, right? And I missed the interview. You know, I haven't even begun to contribute to the company yet. There's not one thing I've done for them at all. And then I'm gonna show up late. Now you have to go to work. I mean, interviews are actually can be kind of stressful, but sometimes they're more fun than going to work because they get you lunch and all that good stuff, right? So had I been late, you know, just plopped in a half hour late with a tissue hanging out of my nose, it probably would have gone a little bit different. Probably would not have gotten a job offer, which they did give me an offer. I didn't take it. I came here to South Carolina. But think about it. There's a time for stuff, right? There's, there's an allotted time for things to happen. That interview was at 8 o'clock in the morning. Had I got there at 8.30, I probably would have missed that allotted time. And like I said, it probably would not have turned out in a similar fashion than it did. Had I slept a little longer, had I taken more time getting dressed or whatever, I probably would have missed out. There is an allotted time for stuff. If you try to use a coupon, an expired coupon tomorrow at the grocery store, I doubt they're going to redeem the coupon, right? You missed it. As pastor likes to say, if you missed it, you missed it, right? And this week's sermon, installment number two of our Meet Jesus, is the time is now. And there is an allotted time for things to happen. And right now is a very special time in the history of the world. Last week we were introduced to Jesus as the one and only God, the Word, Son of God. Big point, Jesus is God. And as we go through this book of John, naturally we're going to really expand on that. And, And there's page after page after page of who Jesus is and what he did and how he related to us and the fact that he is the mighty God. It's a very, very clear thing. Spoiler alert, like I said, today's sermon is about Jesus too. But I'm also going to talk about John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist played a very prominent role, especially right here at the beginning of John, paving the way for Jesus to come. Now, John the Baptist, that doesn't mean that he was a Baptist, a Southern Baptist. It wasn't his denomination. That was what he does. He's John the Baptizer. And his job, his role, was to be the forerunner of Christ and to kick off Christ's ministry, to come and prepare the people for the fact that the Messiah was coming and the Messiah was there. And reconciliation was about to happen. And it's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. And the way John writes it is just amazing. And last night, as I had everything prepared and ready, which I'm never ready, it just kept going and kept going. I finally had to say, I have to stop. I have to stop studying. So it's a little bonus here. To prepare to teach, I learned so much more than when I'm being taught. And it's really quite a blessing for me to be given the opportunity to come up here because it, you know, forces me to really get into it. The frustration, which is kind of a good frustration. It's like having too much money, that kind of frustration. The frustration is where do I stop studying because it never ends. It just keeps going. And I go into this book and Malachi and Isaiah and it's just awesome. So I pray that all of you and your studies experience that richness that, that wonderful joy that you get just from studying the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit just reveals stuff to you. Now, when I first started this, and I read through it, and, I'm, and I've got questions, I'm like, I don't know what to talk about. Ah, Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. 
And he says, talk about this. I said, okay. So great teacher, by the way. Holy Spirit's a great teacher. So let me just jump into John chapter 1, verse 15. John, and once again, this is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. John bore witness of him, it's Jesus, and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, of course, John the Baptist is speaking of Jesus Christ right here. He came before me. Jesus was actually a few months younger than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's ministry has been going on. He's been baptizing. So Jesus's ministry is about to really actually kick off, right? Of course, in, in, after he gets baptized, that's when Jesus's ministry like officially kicks off. So John the Baptist is older than Jesus as a human. Um, his ministry has been going on longer. And he's saying, yes, I came before Jesus, but Jesus was before me. He's preferred above me. And what preferred means there in the Greek works is he ranks higher. Yeah, I'm older than him. Yeah, I'm, I'm ministering. He's about to start. But he ranks higher than me. And John also says, and he was before me. And we talked about that some last week. In the beginning was Jesus. You could, that's a MSV version of John 1.1, Michael Schaefer version. In the beginning was Jesus, okay? So John the Baptist is obviously speaking about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word Jesus. John 1.16, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Now, Jesus is the fullness of the Father. Jesus even says, I and my Father are one. We talked about it at length last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, not separated, not something, another entity, not big God, little God, but rather an attribute of God. Like, wisdom is with God. It's not separated from God, it's a part of God. The Word is Jesus incarnate, God incarnate, one together in unity. I and the Father are one. And John says, and we receive. And, and John, the apostle, is saying, he, he's dwelt with us. I dwelt with him. I beheld his glory. And John's writing all this. And this first part, like I mentioned, is a, is a poem introducing Jesus and introducing John the Baptist. And after verse 19, verse 18, 19, we get into, you know, the historical narrative. But it's just an amazing, amazing account. Just this poem at the beginning. Just here's Jesus. He's God. And here's John the Baptist. He's setting the stage for God to come and, and call his people in. And his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. Now, grace is receiving what we don't deserve, right? G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. I didn't make that one up. I can't take credit for it. But it makes sense to me. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. There is, a, there is a difference there. Now, the Greek phrasing for grace for grace, uh, charis, anti-charis, what that means is uh, it could be translated grace upon grace or, or grace in replace of grace, meaning this everlasting grace that just keeps coming and never stops. Like I, we were given this grace, but then that grace was replaced by more grace. And then that grace was then replaced by more grace and more grace and more grace. And we know who we are and who I am. And the fact that God just keeps replacing that grace and keeps replacing grace after grace, chars, anti-chars, time and time again. I love this poem because <laughs> he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about me. That grace came to me and I'm a knucklehead and a half. And he didn't. Don't, don't smile. <laughs> but it's so true. 
I, we, I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. And yet, grace after grace after grace. Moving on to John chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Now, Moses' ministry, if you remember Moses, the Ten Commandments, he brought the law. And the law is there to show us that we cannot follow the law. The law was there as our taskmaster to say, you can't do it. That's what the purpose of the law is. Now, if anyone can actually follow the law 100%, follow the Ten Commandments and do everything right, well, welcome to heaven. But guess what? That is a short list of people of zero besides Jesus. Very short list. Nobody's going to do it. It's the law. If you look at Romans 3.20, Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what the law is. It shows us that we're sinful. It doesn't have a way to fix it. It just shows us that we're sinful. I actually like the Amplified Version. I don't have it up on the screen, but I've got it right here. It kind of expounds a little bit into it, and it does it properly. For no person will be justified, freed of guilt, and declared righteous. Nobody's declared righteous in his sight, in God's sight, trying to do the works of the law. Now, if you could do the works of the law, you'd be declared righteous, but nobody can do the works of the law. Trying to do the works of the law, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be declared righteous. For through the law, we became conscious of sin, and the recognition of sin directs us toward repentance, but provides no remedy for sin. I love that amplified version. Sin is there. The law shows us that we're in sin, but it doesn't provide a way out of it. It just says, you missed the mark. Congratulations, you missed the mark. That's the law. That's what Moses brought. But it says Jesus came in grace and truth. So not only did he bring the truth that we are sinful and we need something, he also brought the grace. Yes, we are sinful people, but here's a way to fix it. That's what Jesus brought. Moses brought the law. He came in truth. Jesus came in grace and truth. Here's the law, and I'm going to fix it. All you got to do is accept it. Now, John ushered in Jesus. And Jesus brought with him grace and truth. Now, we're all, every one of us is broken and completely unworthy. And that's, that's the truth of the law. That's the truth. But Jesus brought grace, salvation through his sacrifice. So we're no longer bound by the law. That doesn't mean we need to go break the law. I'm not bound by the law. I'm going to go sin. Read Romans 6.1. God forbid. That we're not, we're not, we don't have a, a free reign to go sin just so grace can abound even more. That's not the point. The point is, Moses brought the law, and the law shows us we're sinful people. We can't do it. Jesus brought grace, says, I can fix it. I can fix you. I can change you. I can bring you into presence, into the presence of God the Father, which is amazing. Amazing. I am completely imperfect, and yet he clothes me in his righteousness. So that when God the Father looks at me, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And that's straight out of Scripture. And that is so amazing because I don't deserve that. But that's grace. If we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we talk about a time of grace. Uh, we're in the time of grace right now. Sermon title is, Now is the Time. 
Now is the time. We are living in a time of grace. I can't, I can't speak of how long this time of grace will last. It's at least until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. I look in Romans for that, Romans chapter 11. There's a certain, I, basically the number of Gentiles is uh, God knows how many people are going to get saved. So he knows who that last one is. And I just think about this sometimes. It's, if you're in my Sunday school class, a bake your noodle kind of thing. Um, you had to be there. So if you're the last Gentile to get saved, is it, okay, I accept Jesus Christ, poof, the rapture? It might be. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. It's like, you're the last one. You're the number, you know, whatever prize you win. You get to go to heaven immediately. That's pretty cool. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says this. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, if you look at the, the word acceptable in the New King James, other versions say uh, time of favor, perhaps. The NIV actually does a pretty good job with this translation. It's a favorable time that we're living in right now. And the Greek word for that acceptable is uh, dextos. And I can only find it used four other times in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, it's Hebrew. So in the Septuagint, there was one other time I saw it used. But actually, we'll get to that in a minute. But that word, acceptable, in the Greek, like I said, it was only used four other times. And one other time he used it was, uh, Jesus actually used it, and it's, it's uh, from a translation out of the book of Isaiah. Back in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, this is when Jesus was, this is a little bit further on, we're in John right now, Jesus' ministry is about to get started. This is after Jesus' ministry has started, and he's going to Nazareth, which is Jesus' hometown. Remember, he is a Nazarene. So he's going into Nazareth, and he's going to go to the, the synagogue and speak. It's kind of like just what Paul did. Remember, we just got out of Acts. Every Saturday, Sabbath, Paul would go to the synagogue and speak. I guess he did what Jesus did. So if you look at uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been, where he had been brought up. It's his hometown. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, did this guy just hand it to him on, on a whim, or was it that plan that day, or Jesus asked for it? I don't know. But it was no accident that he was given Isaiah this day. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable, dextos, favorable, acceptable year of the Lord. Same exact word. And why did, so why did Jesus come? Jesus came to preach the good news of grace and proclaim that now is the time of grace. The time is right now. So Jesus read right out of Isaiah and said, I have fulfilled this. Look at this. This is really interesting. So that's why Jesus came. Then he closed the book, he being Jesus, and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and they began to say to them, and he began to say to them, Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus just proclaimed that thing Isaiah said a long time ago, I just fulfilled it. I'm the Messiah. I am fulfilling that the time of grace is now, and I'm bringing it. That's pretty cool, but it gets even cooler. That's where he stopped. Now, let's go to Isaiah, where he just quoted right out of. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Really cool. It's going to say the same thing that Jesus just said. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The Greek Septuagint, dextos, same exact word used. Not surprising. But it's interesting that Jesus stopped there, closed the book, gave it to the attendant, and said, I have just now fulfilled this. But what does it say in Isaiah, if you keep going? What does it say in verse... To be, He stopped, of course, the verses weren't numbered back then. We have this as verse 2a, to proclaim the acceptable time of the Lord, and he stopped. What's next? Where did he stop? The next word that Jesus did not say 2,000 years ago, but what is next in verse 2 is, and the day of vengeance of our God. He stopped short of that. We're in the time of grace right now. Jesus didn't fulfill the time of vengeance. That's later. That's coming up. I don't know when, not too long, I don't think. But right now, we're in the time of grace. He stopped short of that verse for what he was fulfilling that day. So like I said, this tiny day of vengeance is, is future. Final and total reconciliation is going to happen when Jew and Gentile are both reconciled. It's the time of the Gentiles right now. It's the time of grace. Remember, the nation of Israel backed away. They didn't accept him. Of course, that's the purpose of the tribulation, to bring them back. I want to continue on in, in Isaiah 61. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he stopped later, and the day of vengeance of our God, to, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus stopped just short of the day of vengeance of the Lord, because, like I said, we're in the time of grace. It's not that time yet. It's not the time for God's vengeance yet. The Jews were looking for the Messiah to come and kick out the Greek, kick out the Romans, and take over and be their earthly ruler and bring down vengeance and, and, and justify them and be that ruler that is later on in Isaiah. But Jesus is going to do that. But first, he extends grace. For any who will receive it. And then after a time and a lot of time, that will end, and then his judgment comes. Right now, we're in a very fortunate time. May sound weird saying that. Hey, COVID's back. Congratulations, right? Um, you know, the markets are doing this or that, or life can be hard. Okay, I, I get that. But in the big picture, we are living in a fantastic time when God says, here's my grace. Take it. Walk with me. The world's always been a mess, by the way. You know, we've got stuff going on in the world today. Newsflash, it's always been a mess. It's, it's never been peaches and cream and unicorns and rainbows for everybody. It's always been a little bit wacky. You know why? Because it's the world. The world's nuts, and we just happen to be living in it. Now is a fantastic time, the time of grace. So like I said, the, the, the Jews were looking for the Messiah to come and kick out the Romans and and bring about justice, and bring about uh, just taking them in and, and just getting rid of everybody else and making the Jews back in the ruling faction again. And that verse 18 in the book of John ends that poetic verse. And uh, we pick up in verse 19 where it's more of a historical narrative. And we get really kind of introduced more to John the Baptist and 
who he is and, and what he's doing, what, he, what he's up to. So if you go to John chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. It is he coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. And these things were done in Bethabar beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, we got a little bit to unpack here. Uh, there's, a, there's a ton here, and this is, this is where, uh, you know, I was studying earlier in the week, and it got to last night where I finally just said, have to stop, because there's so much here. And you could just kind of read this and go, okay, John said this to these guys, and they took off, and we're done. But there's a lot there. By the way, there's no wasted words in the Bible, and there's no extra words. And there's no missing words. They all are there for a purpose. And uh, we're going to dig into it just a little bit. I've got, I don't know, two or three more hours. We'll be good. All right. So John has identified himself clearly as the voice of one client crying out the word on us, make straight the way of the Lord. And, and John knows his role. John knows who he is. John the Baptist is aware of his role. Um, later on, we'll get to a question that was asked to John. Are you Elijah? And he says, no. Jesus says he is. What's going on there? Did John not know who he was? A lot of commentaries will say, well, you know, John didn't really quite understand his role. I don't think that's right. I think John understood his role really well. Um, like I said, we'll get to that. I'm going to get ahead, get in the cart ahead of the horse. He quoted Isaiah 40-3. He said, as Isaiah said, this is who I am, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. came straight out of Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a desert, a highway for our God. But why did they ask if he was Elijah? Why would they do that? Now, if you look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, that'll answer the question. There's more. I'm, I'm not going to go to every single prophecy, but there's, there's, like I said, there's so much here. But Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Okay, so Elijah's coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Was that great and terrible day of the Lord during Jesus' ministry on earth? Did that occur? Let's read a little bit more. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, and kind of talk about this great and terrible day of the Lord and, and what it looks like. So if we go back to verse 1 in chapter 4 of Malachi, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer evil will be chaff. Any evildoers around the world today? Are they all chaff? They're still here? Yeah, I don't think this has happened yet. And that day is coming that will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But if you, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Now, this sounds good. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under your soles or your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Verse 5, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. 
So no, the great and terrible day of the Lord um, hasn't happened yet. That'll happen after the time of grace. So Jesus, like Jesus' fulfillment of Isaiah 61, 1 through 2a, right? Stop short. Uh, the vengeance of our God, that's coming. Also, with the stuff that Elijah's supposed to do, there's more than what has happened, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. So, through Elijah, continuing in Malachi 6, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So, does this mean that John the Baptist was not Elijah? Actually, I believe John the Baptist was absolutely Elijah, 100%. So it still stands out. So why would he say he's not and Jesus say he is? Was Jesus wrong? Well, we can say no. Jesus wasn't wrong. But we've got to listen to the words of Jesus. And Well, first off, raise your hand if you are a father. I'll raise my hand too. I'm, I'm a father. All right, we've got a good number of people in here. Not everybody. All right? No, it's all drunk. All right, now, raise your hand if you are the child of someone. And that would be everybody. All right, Congratulations. You passed the test. That's right. Everybody is a child of someone. Not everybody's a father. Elijah is supposed to come and return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's hearts to the fathers. Some redemption, total redemption. Some redemption has happened. Total redemption will happen later. That hasn't happened yet. Jesus is going to do that later <laughs> when the nation of Israel comes back to him. So, like I said, there's no extra words there's no missing words and I want to go back to Luke and explain a little bit about John the Baptist who he is and what he's supposed to do Luke chapter 1 verse 15 through 17 this is uh you probably read this during the Christmas time where Zechariah the priest is going into the temple and poof there's Gabriel and Gabriel tells him all kinds of wonderful things and Zechariah says how am I supposed to know that's the truth and then Gabriel says I stand before God you're going to be mute for nine months we're not going to get into all that story but I do want to say what Gabriel, the angel, tells Zechariah about who his son John is going to be. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. The angel Gabriel told Zechariah, soon to be John's father, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many, not all, of the children of Israel to their Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So here Gabriel's saying that too. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It doesn't say turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. But it does say, and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So hearts of the fathers to the children, not total restoration of all. It doesn't say he's going to bring back the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's going to happen later. Kind of like Jesus fulfilling half of what Isaiah said. There's more to come. Not an errant omission by Gabriel. He didn't forget, or Luke didn't forget to write it down. John paves the way for Jesus, and e Jesus ushers in this time of grace. And even Jesus in Matthew says, John the Baptist is Elijah. It's kind of hard to argue with the words of Jesus. So let's go to Matthew. We're bouncing around a lot. This is where I said last night, I didn't know where to stop. I got 1,700 other scriptures we can go through. I'm looking at the clock that says no. Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. And uh, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and Jesus makes a very, very interesting comment here. He says, and his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Of course, we know the Malachi uh, prophecy. 
Jesus answered them and said, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Jesus says, Elijah's already come, and they killed him. And they're going to kill me too. And the disciples understood that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. So once again, Gabriel says it. Jesus says it. I mean, we're done, right? It it was John the Baptist. There's no question about that. But why did John say in John 121, and they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. How do we reconcile that? What an apparent contradiction in the Bible. Must be wrong. Sermon over. Wrong. Who was John talking to? Yes, he was talking to people sent to him by the Pharisees. They were the Jews sent by the Pharisees to ask a question. Now, generally, the Pharisees weren't ones to follow Jesus and agree with Jesus. And, and uh, now there was Joseph of Arimathea, and there was you know, potentially Nicodemus. So there were some Pharisees that did. So to even clarify it even more, since John was talking to people that weren't going to follow Jesus, it goes on to say in verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. They didn't know Jesus. They weren't looking for Jesus. They were looking for someone else. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't accept him as their savior. He was talking to people that were not believers. He did not recognize him as the Messiah. So why John said that he was not Elijah to these Jews is actually not a difficult thing if we look at what Jesus said again. Once again, there's no waste of words. Go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says a very interesting thing. And once again, I've read commentaries on this, and I think they confuse it. I think we need to do what Peter finally did and just realize, hey, if Jesus says it, that's the way it is. Hey, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, he did. Hey, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you're not. Yeah, yeah, he's going to, right? What Jesus says is going to happen. And if we look there in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13, it's a very, very interesting choice of words that Peter, uh, excuse me, that Jesus used. Jesus, speaking of John the Baptist, said this, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear, he's saying, listen up. Listen to the words that I'm saying. If you're willing to receive it, he's Elijah. Now, why would he add that in there? Why would he say that? Well, if constitutes like a choice, an if then, right? Right? He didn't just say he is Elijah. He didn't say he isn't Elijah. He said, if you're willing to receive it. The people that Elijah was talking to were not willing to receive it. They were not receiving Jesus Christ as Messiah. They did not receive Elijah or John the Baptist as the forerunner of that Messiah. So when they asked him, are you Elijah? No. You're not willing to receive that? No. Because Jesus said if. You think about it. What does if mean? If you're willing to receive it or if you're not willing to receive it. If you're willing to receive it, he's Elijah. If you're not willing to receive it, he's not. And, and that's kind of difficult to explain or understand, but if you think about it this way, um, if you're willing to receive Jesus' grace, he's your Savior. If you're not willing to receive his grace, he's not your Savior. He is the Lord of all. And he wants to save all, but he gives us that free will to make that choice. If you're not willing to receive it, you don't have it. If you missed it, you missed it. 
And even though the world seems to be upside down and flipped sideways and spinning too fast, we are living in the time of grace. Jesus the Messiah has come, stopped short in Isaiah 61, verse 2, and said, this is the acceptable time of the Lord to receive grace. Judgment of the world's coming later, but we're in that time right now. Where the time is now. If there was ever a time, now is the time. If you're already a Christian, just step into this book here, get to know Jesus better, and walk with it, and it's a glorious, wonderful life. Difficult? Absolutely. If you're not a Christian, life's difficult. So what do you expect, right? But at least you have that joy, that knowledge, that hope. And when I say hope, I don't mean, eh, I hope so. It's a no-so hope. It's like the actual definition of faith. In Hebrews 11, chapter one, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it mentions what faith is. And so many times people think faith is some mystical thing that, you know, I sure hope this happens even though there's no proof of it and it's just because uh, I want it. Well, that's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, as it says. The example I always use, and I think it's great, is sitting down in a pew, right? Who checked that pew out before you sat down? Who walked in there and just like, Thing might be strong enough and then sat down. No, you had faith in it. You've done it before. You've done it hundreds of times. You just plopped down in it because you knew it would sustain you. That's how it works with God. You test him. Well, let me rephrase that a little bit. <laughs> you can put him uh, to the test. Not Don't go test God. That's a sin. But when he says go do it and you do it and you realize it held me up, then you do it again, and it holds you up again, and you do it again, and it holds you up again, and then you do it your own way, and you fall down. Oh, then you do it his way, and you sit down, and it holds you up a time and time and time again. That's faith. That's that substance of things hoped for because you've done it time and time and time again, and God continues to hold you up and sustain you. And then when you do it your own way, you fall down again, and you realize, I am such a knucklehead because I keep doing that. I just need to trust God. That's actually really what faith is. It's not some mystical thing that we just... Hey, I'm going to jump off this cliff and live. No, you're an idiot. Don't jump off the cliff. Have faith that you'll die if you do that. Don't do that. But it's not really a mystery. Why did he say, no, I'm not Elijah? Because they weren't willing to accept it, just like Jesus said. All we got to do is read the words of Jesus and apply them. It's that easy. I've seen so, many, so much confusion on this verse. John the Baptist was Elijah because Jesus said it. John the Baptist told those knuckleheads that he wasn't Elijah because they weren't willing to accept it. Like Jesus said, I'm willing to accept it. He's Elijah. Done. That's it. There's really no more debate. That's what it says in the Word of God. I think we should just accept it and move on. I think it's pretty simple. Just what the Bible says, just agree with it, and life gets really good. John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist ushered in Jesus. Jesus ushered in the time of grace, and that is right now. So God took on flesh so that we could become partakers of the divine nature. Divinity, God reached down to humanity. He became man so that we could partake of the divine nature. He bridged that gap. You know, here we are down here, and here God is up there. Big chasm between us. Absolute perfection. Big pile of knuckleheads, right? Big chasm, big chasm. That's what Jesus did. He took on flesh, came in and related to us, and offers us grace. Jesus is God, absolutely, 100%. Jesus loves you. Jesus, um, like Joey said last week in, in the catalyst, 
You know, one thing we learned as was stuff we know about Jesus that we didn't know the day we were saved. Hey, Jesus is not out to get us every time we do something wrong. God isn't just waiting up there with that lightning bolt. Messed up, pow. He extends grace. And there's a balancing act there. Like I said, well, I'm not going to sin just a whole bunch because there is that grace. That's where daddy will, and you don't like that. I don't either. It happens from time to time. Do I mess up? Every day. I think it was about a month ago, Pastor Clint put uh, something in perspective for me that I understood, but the way he said it was just like a boop, like a light going off. And he said, if living the Christian life, if you're struggling with it, if it's just something you just, it's in that grind, just trying to live the Christian life, stop it. Just stop. Because living the Christian life is knowing who Jesus is and knowing that you're forgiven. That's living the Christian life. The works that we do is not something that will gain us any favor with God. The works that we do come out of our love for him. The fact that we know, I can't do it. I know the law, I can't do it. But Jesus extends grace upon grace upon grace. And when I mess up, my goal for tomorrow, yeah, I'll say is not to mess up. All right, let me lower my goals because I'm gonna mess up. Not mess up real bad, okay? Not um, give Jesus a bad name. Not doing something to, to give my family a bad name. You know, these, are, these are good lofty goals, but I'm gonna goof up. And Jesus knows it. And what I need to do then is apologize, I'm sorry, and know that Jesus has it and that, that heart of repentance that was given to me, use that to motivate myself to do better next time, right? But living that Christian life, if it's just so hard because you can't do it, nobody can do it. There's not a person in this room that can do it. And that's why Jesus extends us grace because he loves us and knows we're just a big pile of knuckleheads. I mean, I'm trying to beat you up or whatever. I'm a bigger knucklehead than anybody in here. I guarantee you that. No comments from Tammy, please. But Jesus extends grace to only one type of person, and that's a filthy sinner. That's the only person he's going to extend grace to. Because if you don't need it, he's not, it, well, first off, who doesn't need it? Nobody. Once again, a short list of zero, right? Jesus extends grace to filthy sinners. So if you feel like, I, I'm not deserving of this, I, you're right, you're not. Or if you feel like, my past, I've done so many things that there's no way God will stop. He knows. He absolutely knows. And he extends grace because that's what he does. And to say that I've done too much bad, that it outweighs Jesus' sacrifice, you're not God. You're not above God. Like John the Baptist said, he's preferred before me. He ranks higher than me. I guarantee you 100%, his grace is much greater than your sin. And there's some really sinful people in this room, and there's one right here. And my past is my past. It's separated from me as far as the east is from the west. It's there as a reminder sometimes to say, woo, yeah, I needed that grace. But that's not me anymore because Jesus has cleaned that up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a rotten person. I'm a filthy, nasty, rotten person. Once again, no comment from the peanut gallery and Tammy. But I get there's nobody in here who has gone too far that Jesus said, whoa, I'm not powerful enough for that one. Get over that. Jesus extends grace upon grace upon grace. Perfect people don't need Jesus. Short list of zero, nobody's perfect. We all need Jesus. But he comes full of grace and truth. 
We're all broken and unworthy, and that is the truth. But Jesus brings us grace, and now is that time of grace. From the time that he came into this earth and started his ministry to that great and terrible day of the Lord, which is sometime in the future, now, today, is the time to receive that grace. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for just the power of your word and, and the fact that you, the word, the, the almighty God, the creator of everything, reached down into humanity and bridged that gap, knowing who we are and just our tendencies, our, our ways, our sinfulness. And even so, you extend grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And there's nothing that we could have done that is above and beyond your abilities to forgive and wash away. Paul, Saul, the, the one who killed members of the church, who sought after members of the church to, to beat them and kill them and put them in prison, became one of the greatest Christians ever. Not because of anything other than your grace. When he prayed to you for the removal of um, whatever that thorn was in his side, you told him no, but you also said your grace is sufficient. And Lord, whatever it is that we're going through, whatever sinful past we have, whatever the future looks like, whatever this world seems to be doing and the craziness in it, your grace is sufficient. And you have given us a time right now to accept your grace. And we just thank you and praise you so much for that. Lord, we thank you for everyone here and everything that you've done for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.